0: They say the truth is often stranger than fiction, and uh, so it is. Uh, with this classic movie Uh, now if you're under the age of 30 you probably never even heard of this movie much less watch it but just you'll have to trust me it is a classic film Uh, kind of one of the the major uh, films that has lasted the test of time Gone with the Wind but actually as I've found out a little bit about Gone with the Wind over these last couple of weeks it, it turns out that the characters in this movie are based on real people And what happens after the curtain closes and the credits go up, what actually happened in their lives was far more interesting than anything portrayed on the screen. Um, If you know the film, uh, Clark Gable acts as Rhett Butler. Uh, This character is based on a guy called Rhett turnip seed so you can see why they changed the name it's a pretty ridiculous name but it's based on this guy um and it turns out he did go off and fight uh in the civil war um for the confederate side uh and Scarlett o'hara um is based on a lady called Emmeline louise hannon uh, and again, they were separated after, because of the war. Uh, and after the war, Rhett, Turnipseed, seed, Rhett we'll call him, uh, ended up becoming a drifter and a gambler. Uh, and in 1872, Rhett ended up in Nashville and was invited along to um, a Methodist gospel meeting where possibly for the first time he heard a clear presentation of who Jesus was and how he could be forgiven and made right with God, and he became a Christian. Uh, he was so excited, so captivated by what he'd just learned, he wanted to tell other people about it. Uh, and so he went off to seminary and trained as a Methodist minister and ended up in a little church uh, where he was the pastor. Uh, he got to get to know his people uh, and was really moved by a story where one member of their, his congregation told of uh, a, another member of their family who was not connect, directly connected with the church, uh, who had got herself a young woman who had got herself in all sorts of trouble. She had been, she'd run away. Uh, she went to St. Louis, uh, where there she became destitute and ended up being trapped in prostitution. Rep was so moved by what he heard, um, even the de- though the details were scant, uh, he felt compelled to go and do his best to try and rescue her, and so that's what he did. He left his little church, he left his job uh, for, a, for a while, uh, and went to, traveled all the way to St. Louis, uh, found the brothel where she was working, uh, and when he went there and asked some questions, actually discovered that the girl who was a family member of this congregation member was none other than his former love, Emmeline Louise Hannon. And so he's all the more motivated to try to help her and rescue her. And so he offers the madam there a whole lot of money to to set her free, to let her go. She flat out refuses. And then challenges her, the madam, to a game of cards, a game of poker, for... Emelyn Louise, and he won with a straight royal flush. He rescued her, he rescued her, and took her home. And she was shocked to discover what had happened. Brett, after they were separated for so long that he'd become a Christian, she heard his story. And as a result, she actually wanted to become a Christian too. And eventually she started an orphanage that was opened up for Cher- uh, orphan Cherokee Indian children. Uh, And died in 1903, a woman who was much loved and well-respected by everyone who knew her. Now, why do I tell you that long, slightly complicated story? I tell you that story because I want to just, at the beginning of this year, just to lodge this idea in your brain. God is in the business of changing people. He's in the business of changing people. People who have messed up their lives in spectacular ways. God is in the business of changing us so that we might live a life that pleases him, be useful for him, and leave a legacy in his world. And I think, if you're anything like me, we all long for something like that in our own experience. We all long to be changed. We all long to be the people that uh, we feel we should be, the people we've been made to be, if if you're a Christian. Uh, we all long for that change but we don't know often how to go about it how should we change what does change look like how do we how do we try to cultivate that and, and really that's what we're going to look at for the rest of the year uh, and so this this talk is going to feel a little bit like a lecture i'm sorry about that uh, but it gives you an idea of where the whole thing is going for the rest the rest of this year but perhaps you do feel stuck this morning Stuck in emotional pain because of uh, experience in your family in the past or a broken relationship. Perhaps you're stuck. You feel stuck in addiction. Whether it's addiction to your smartphone, addiction to work, or addiction to pornography, whatever or addiction to alcohol or whatever it is, or some other substance. Uh, perhaps you feel stuck because you're stuck in patterns of behavior ways of using your money ways of speaking ways of relating that you know are toxic but you just can't seem to stop perhaps you just feel stuck in your relationship with god you feel like you've sort of plateaued you feel you should be getting more joyful and more excited and more useful and you just are not what does change look like how can we be changed i think we all long for that radical change from the as andy talked about earlier from the inside out a re-changing of who we really are um, and again i just want us to point to uh, romans chapter 12 just go back one slide there romans 12 and here is the hope that we have here's the hope do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you will be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will the exciting thought here in this verse is that change is possible and when when the Bible wants to talk about that radical change from the inside out, not just messing around, tweaking the edges of your life with self-help. No, no, real heart change. It uses this word, transformation. And what, it mean, what the Bible means, by, what the New Testament means by transformation is that we would be increasingly possessed and permeated with the character, character traits of Jesus. We become more like him. And that sort of change is possible, but here is the thing it's not inevitable. It's possible, but it's not inevitable. Uh, it requires us to work in partnership with God if we are to be formed. But notice just in this verse as well, if you go back, that there's, a, there's actually, we're all been changed one way or the other. You're, you're either being conformed, changed more like the world. Uh, with its values and priorities, or you're being transformed. None of us are static. We are all being changed. And the big question then is, what are you being formed into? We're all being changed. What are you being formed into? And so for a moment, I just want to consider, if you do nothing, if you don't do anything, just get up in the morning tomorrow morning, go about your regular business, uh, go to school, college, work, work, as a stay-at-home parent, whatever it is you do, um, if you do nothing, how are you being changed? But then consider just as the second question, how then can we be transformed? So first I want to consider this question, how are we being unintentionally conformed? How are we being unintentionally? conformed and look as i begin i am hugely indebted as i've been thinking and reading and praying for the, for the past number of months of where we should go this year i've been hugely indebted by two writers in particular one called james smith and his little book you are what you love uh, and the the writing and teaching of uh, an american pastor john mark comer who i think have been very both very helpful uh, on this uh, these ideas What I want us to see is if you do nothing and you start to read psychology books, read spiritual discipline books, uh, you start to quickly discover uh, that we are being influenced, changed in all sorts of ways with all sorts of influences around us. Three in particular that are extremely powerful Uh, Here's a little diagram. We'll come back to this diagram uh, as we go through the year. Here are three ways in which you are being influenced and changed. First, by the stories you believe, by the habits you form, and by the relationships you have, all in an environment. We've been changed. We've been shaped in particular ways. For example, take the stories we believe. There are lots of stories, narratives to make sense of the world that are being thrown around in the culture in which we live. And if you buy into them, they will have a profound effect on how you behave. Let me give you two very quickly. One, uh, in the whole area of sexuality. So if you buy into the story and I would say it is a story, the story of evolution with a capital E, that there is no God, Uh, we are simply here as a glorious accident, the result of uh, matter, motion, mutation, time and chance, and that's it. And we're here as an accident. Then that is going to shape how you express your sexuality profoundly. Or in the words of the, the Bloodhound Gang from the 90s, you and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do it on the Discovery Channel. Sex is just adult play, a biological release. Marriage is just a made-up thing in culture. It doesn't, it's not essential. And so we can live whatever way we want. If that's the story you believe, then it's going to profoundly affect how you behave and how you treat other people or consumerism, if you think actually the real road to happiness and to be desirable and to be fulfilled and satisfied is getting more stuff, that will, that's, that's the road to all those things, then of course that's going to affect how you spend your money and how you relate uh, to other people. The stories we believe shape how we behave, always do. Second, the habits we form, the habits we form. Uh, As you begin to read a little bit about lots of work has been done on this in psychology uh, and in some Christian spiritual disciplines, uh, books. Uh, But habits are not just things you regularly regularly do, if I could speak. Habits are not just things you do. Habits do something to you. Habits do something to you. Um, So I was talking recently to... um, in my regular haunt, which is Cafe Nero in Ballyhackamore, where I, if you've bumped into me there, you'll know that that's a, a mobile office for me very often. Um, and so I, I got a chance to chat to Hannah, who is on a barista there, and we were talking one day, and she—and I asked her the question, before you took this job, did you like coffee? And she said, actually, no, I didn't like coffee before I took this job as a barista uh, in a coffee shop. Um, so she didn't like coffee, but you get coffee free if you're a barista, which is an incredibly attractive feature, I think. If I was going to change career again, then maybe that's the way to go. But uh, you get free coffee. But she didn't really like coffee, so what she did used to do is, because it was free, she would make coffee, but then fill it with milk, fill it with cream, fill it with syrup and sugar and all those other things to sort of mask the coffeiness of it. But then over time, she started to reduce all those things. She started to take out the cream and take out the milk and take out the sugar and take out the syrup. And now she says, when she gets up in the morning, first thing she does at home is grind her coffee beans. Oh no, grind her coffee beans and drink her coffee because she loves it. She loves it. Do you see the habits you do end up reshaping your loves and your longings. And I think lots of us in this room have had that experience whether it's a, you know, you know you should eat healthily, you don't really want to, but you know you should eat healthily you start to do it and actually find out you love it. Uh, you know you should exercise, but you can't really be bothered, but you start doing it, and you do it regularly and suddenly you feel you're going away for the weekend and you're throwing your trainers in your bag. Because you love it. You would miss it if you weren't doing it. Your habits change you. They shape you. They shape your loves Uh, And your longings. Uh, We are being changed by the stories we believe, the habits we form, and the relationships we have. Now, it's hilarious to walk uh, in in the center of Belfast uh, and view a group of girls at the moment. It's maybe most... Obvious with girls, with all their long straight hair, their their tight jeans and their puffer jackets. Uh, they look, the, lots of them look the same because they all dress together because it, it looks good. Uh, but you become like the people you spend time with. We all do. I'm not getting at, at girls in particular, uh, teenage girls in any way. But we we become like the people we spend time with. We begin to think like them. We begin to vote like them. We've been changed you do nothing tomorrow you're been changed. Uh, we do, well, this all happens for us in an environment and the environment is 21st century secular suburban Belfast and our culture is pushing us in a very particular direction. Uh, in comfortable BT4 Uh, if this is where you live, in East Belfast, you're being pushed in a particular direction to be progressive, to be tolerant, uh, to recycle your rubbish, uh, to be cynical and critical of politicians and those in authority over us. Now, again, there's some things in our culture that are very good, that we want to celebrate, that are right, but there's much in that push. There's much in our culture that actually is opposed to the way of Jesus. But we're being changed, whether we like it or not, whether we are aware of it or not, by the stories we believe, the habits we form, and the relationships that we have. Well, if that is true, then how can we be intentional? If we are being unintentionally conformed, how is it possible for us to be intentionally transformed? And that's where I want to point you to uh, what Jesus has to say in, Matthew, in John chapter 15. If you have closed your Bible, please turn back to John chapter 15. Uh, and here we'll see that Jesus uh, has profound insight for us if we want to be changed. If we want to, in his language, be fruitful. Um, Now this is all, uh, chapter 15, we're right in the middle of a whole series of speeches in John's Gospel that run from chapter 13 all the way through to chapter 17. They're commonly called the Farewell Discourse. It's Jesus' last, final words, final speeches uh, to his disciples the night before he goes to the cross. And in chapter 14, he has just told them uh, that he is going to not be with them any longer physically. He is going to have to leave them behind, and they're devastated. But wonderfully, he has a promise for them that although he is not going to be with them physically, he has promised a helper, a helper. Uh, and, well, we looked at that a few, months, or a few months ago last year when we looked at this, this, this idea of the Holy Spirit, the helper. Uh, and through the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the person and the power of Jesus will be real, For all his followers, even though they cannot see him with their eyes. There is a helper. Uh, And Jesus wants us not just to be able to survive with the help of the helper while he's absent. In chapter 15, we see that Jesus actually wants us to thrive. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to become fruitful. Uh, and you see this language of being fruitful. It's, it's a metaphor that he, Jesus picks up from the Old Testament, from passages like uh, Isaiah 5. Uh, it's, he picks up this metaphor of the vine and the branches. And all the way through is this repeated idea of fruitfulness. It begins with the idea of fruitfulness in, chapter, in verse 2, um, that the gardener will prune every branch that does not bear fruit um, so that they will be even more fruitful. Verse 2, uh, it finishes with the idea of fruitfulness. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. And it's there in the middle in verse 8. This is, my, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself yourselves to be my disciples. This language of fruitfulness, bearing fruit, is a powerful picture of change, isn't it? Change and growth and maturity for a particular purpose. But what kind of fruit is Jesus talking about? Uh, I think there's a couple of options for us, and uh, well, we'll get to what I think in a second. But there's a couple of options. Option number one is the the fruit of a godly life. The fruit of a godly life. Um, remember what jesus has just been talking about he's just been talking about the holy spirit Uh, and so i think jesus is referring to the idea uh, that we can bear fruit when we open ourselves up to the influence of the holy spirit in our lives we can actually be changed changed right down in our character Um, i think paul picks up on the the teaching and the language of Jesus uh, using this horticultural imagery in in Galatians 5 when he says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience uh, and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The fruit of a godly character. When we open ourselves up to the influence of the Holy Spirit, he begins to change us. He begins to change us. But I think there's a second option. Uh, when you read down, especially to, uh, uh, to the end of the section, um, and you see in verse 16 that we are um, appointed to go and bear fruit, that doesn't seem to be the language of a changed character. It's possible there that in, in that statement, Jesus is talking about the fruit Of new converts, as we go and share the good news about Jesus, we will see fruit. More people will be added to the kingdom. There will be growth, multiplication. Now, which do I think it is? Uh, Is it gospel? Uh, Sorry, is it godliness? Or is it gospel growth? Well, through it. if you are a careful reader of John's Gospel, you will see that he loves double meanings all the way through the book. Uh, that's something he plays with. And so I would find it not surprising in any way if Jesus and John both mean the two things. We are to be changed, become more godly, to see the fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives so that we might be more useful. Uh, in sharing the good news of Jesus with the world, with the world, and see gospel growth. Of course, you see the two things uh, are connected. What kind of fruit is Jesus talking about? I think he's talking about both personal godliness and gospel growth. Well, then that raises the next question: How can we bear this fruit? How is it we're to go about seeing this change in our lives, seeing us become more like? The Lord Jesus in our character, seeing the fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives. How do we cultivate that? Well, Jesus has a simple, a simple answer to that question. Remain in me. Remain in me. That's how you will be changed. That's how you will be useful. Okay, Jesus, but what on earth does that mean? Well, thankfully, he doesn't leave us guessing. Uh, he shows that he means at least three things. Remaining in Jesus, which is the re- repeated right the way throughout these things, the, the, this little section in verse 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 10. Uh, remain in me, remain in me. But how do we remain in Jesus? Here's how we remain in Jesus. And surprise, surprise, Jesus counteracts the major worldly influences in our lives. Jesus said, if you want to remain in me, if you want to become more fruitful in your life, see change in your character, be useful out in the world, then you need to, number one, replace the stories that the world tells you. Replace them with Jesus' words and the teaching of the New Testament. If you want to replace the bad habits that you get into, you need to replace them with spiritual disciplines Or what you might call the practices of Jesus? What are are the sort of things that he did? Prayer is top of the list uh, in this section. But as you look at the life of Jesus, he certainly was a man absolutely committed to prayer. That was one of the major spiritual practices that he had built into the rhythm of his life. But there were others. There were others. Uh, He was a man committed to uh, a, a a weekly Sabbath, a day of rest and worship every week. He was absolutely committed to reading and studying and memorising Scripture. He was absolutely committed to living in community. He was absolutely committed to a simple living. I want—I'd want to suggest to you these are the practices that we need to build into our lives uh, as well, if we're to see any change. But all of this, of course, happens in a community. You cannot do the Christian life on your own. You will never be fruitful if you try to go on your own. We do it in community together. And so Jesus tells us in this little section that we are to heed his word, pray in his name, and love his people. And really the plan then for me for the rest of the year is we're going to treat these as points in our talk today. We're going to look at two of them uh, as sermons on their own. And then we're going to go even deeper and look at each one of those as a series for the rest of the year. We're going to look at scripture. We're going to look at prayer and spiritual disciplines. We're going to look at community together. And we're going to drill into each one of these. And we're going to practice some of the things that these reveal in our life groups together. We're going to have a go at some of these things uh, together. First then. Heed Jesus' words. Heed Jesus' words. What we see in this little section, in verse 3 and verse 7, where Jesus says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And then again in verse 7, If you remain in me and in my word, um, sorry, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, uh, verse 10, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. What we see, according to Jesus, is heeding his words is the way into the Christian life and it is the way on in the Christian life. Verse 3, it's the way into the Christian life if you're already clean uh, because of the word I have spoken to you in the past. When we come to Jesus and we hear his words of promise to us, that you can be reconciled to God, you can be fully forgiven and become a member of his family by trusting me, trusting that I am who I claim to be, the Son of God, and that I died on a cross to pay for all your sin and shame. If you believe that promise, then that brings you into the Christian life decisively. Um, But of course... Uh, The Christian life is not a static thing. It's not just a card. It's not just a ticket. I've got my ticket. Now I'm going to heaven. Uh, No, if you understand the gospel, if you see the beauty of the Lord Jesus, you'll want to become more like him. It should be the most natural thing in the world. How do we become more like him? Well, we heed his word. We, We listen to his teaching. He, yes, is our rescuer, our Messiah. But he's also our teacher. Uh, If you look actually through the Synoptic Gospels and just circle every time Jesus is referred to as a rabbi, a teacher, there's an awful lot of references to rabbi in there. What was his job? What was Jesus' job? He was a Bible teacher. And as he taught the Bible, he taught that uh, the Bible was one story that climaxed with his coming. He taught that the Bible was completely true, completely trustworthy. He taught that the Bible was both human and divine uh, and carried with it God's authority. If we were to heed Jesus' words, then we're to heed the Bible. We're to read the Bible, study the Bible, uh, memorize the Bible, uh, read books about the Bible, discuss the Bible in groups together. Look, all of that. We're to be committed to all of that. And as Paul said in the, the verse uh, at the beginning in Romans 12, verse 2, we will be changed in our thinking as we saturate ourselves with the Bible, with the truth of it. And look, I know, I know for lots of us that raises all sorts of problems and objections and questions. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But for now, I want you to see that if you want to experience change, you need to heed Jesus' words. And as you heed Jesus' words, you must heed the words of the Bible this is where we run into trouble however as if I'm being totally honest as conservative evangelicals is that if you think about that little triangle again for a moment we often stop here someone's become a Christian how do we want them to grow as a Christian well you need to go to your, the Bible study you need to go to a Bible study midweek you need to be there on a Sunday hear the Bible taught you need to maybe go on a course uh, by the navigators or whatever for, on some basic Christian doctrine. And Look, I have devoted my life to teaching the Bible. It's all I do. I am, look, I am for all of that. That is good and wise and healthy and right. The problem is, it's not enough. It is not enough. You cannot think yourself into being a godly person. It is impossible Let's take, for example, say you, you're, you read a book on healthy living and healthy diet. That does not mean you will never eat junk food again, does it? It doesn't work that way. You cannot think yourself, and, and similarly in the, in the Christian life, we cannot think ourselves into godliness. It's a good start, but that is all it is. Information transfer alone does not bring transformation. And so we need more than heeding Jesus' words. We also need to pray uh, in Jesus' name. There's practices of which prayer is one that we need to build into our lives. I love this quote uh, by William Paulsell. It is unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. There will be a need for some intentional commitment and some reorganization of our lives, but there is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of daily living. We need to build those practices of Jesus into our lives, into the warp and woof of daily living if we are to experience any real and lasting change. And we will get to those. We will look at those together. What does it mean? Should I be fasting? Answer, yes. What does that look like then? Should I be doing Sabbath, a day of rest and worship? Answer, yes. But what does that look like? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. The first one, that, one that gets top billing in this passage, the spiritual discipline that we need to build into our lives is the pattern uh, of prayer. Prayer. Jesus talks about it a couple of times. One in verse 7 and one in verse 16. Whatever you ask, it will be done for you. Verse 16, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You see, we will never experience real change in our lives if we do not ask God for it. You'll never experience change in your life if you don't ask God for it. Now again, this look, might look like a bit of a blank check. Whatever you ask, whatever you ask. A uh, bank balance with three million pounds in it and a Ferrari should ask for that. Uh, again, John Calvin is quite helpful here. John says, when commenting on this passage, says, when God promises to grant whatever we ask, he doesn't. He does not permit an undisciplined asking. He doesn't permit an undisciplined asking. We are to pray in Jesus' name. And that means in practice that we are to pray in line with his character, in line with his purpose, in line with his priorities. And if you are heeding his words and letting them filter through your mind on a daily basis allowing them to reshape your, your priorities and understand his purposes, then you will know that he longs for you and me to be fruitful, to be godly, to be useful in the world. And so when we pray along those lines to be more godly, more useful, uh, that is a prayer that we will always have answered. We're going to look in just after Easter on this whole topic of prayer and we're going to explore it in a little bit more depth. But for now, I want you to see that prayer is a, a regular daily discipline that we are to build into our lives if we're to see change. But then lastly, we're to heed Jesus' words. We're to pray in Jesus' name. And then thirdly, we are to love Jesus' people. We're to love Jesus' people. I hope you all know this. You cannot do the Christian life on your own. You may think, oh, but I'm an exception. Uh, I can do it on my own. I just need, you know, a good podcast um, and, you know, a Bible reading app. And I am sorted. I don't need other people. Uh, In fact, if if you're an introvert, that may actually sound like good news. But actually, according to Jesus, you cannot do the Christian life on your own. It is impossible. Jesus repeats it twice here. My command is this, verse 12, love each other as I have loved you. And again, verse 17, this is my command, love each other. Now, to love each other means more than just attending on a Sunday, giving a big smile and a firm handshake and saying, everything okay? Yeah, fine. See you next week then. See you next week. That's not love. That's not love. Not according to Jesus. You're to love, we are to love uh, one another in this church family. Uh, As Jesus loved us? How did Jesus us? love us? He gave himself for us. He gave himself to us. He sacrificed his own preferences, uh, his own life ultimately, uh, for the good of those uh, who were his people. And we are called to selflessly, sacrificially give ourselves for the good of other people. We are called to be Also called to be forgiving, called to to bear it when we are wronged for the sake uh, of the wider good, to not hold a grudge. We are called to love uh, as Jesus loved in the context of community. And community is different from relationships. Relationships are self-selecting. You choose people like you who have the same interests as you, who dress like you. Those are the people you choose to be in relationship with. Community's different. This is our community. We've been parachuted into this community when we became Christians because these are just the fellow Christians that live in this area uh, connected with our nuclear family or whatever it is. And we're called to love each other. Maybe those we would not have naturally chosen to be part of our community but we are called to love uh, and to care and when we do community well when we love each other and are committed to one another uh, that does two things that does two things they're there on the screen real community exposes us and real community encourages us You see, when we live up close beside each other and actually share our lives and actually serve shoulder to shoulder with one another, it's more than just platitude on a Sunday. We will discover we irritate one another. We'll discover we irritate one another, but also we'll discover that actually we're not really as likable as we always thought we were. Because we'll be exposed. Actually, maybe I was a bit thoughtless, lazy there. I see it uh, constantly in, in young couples who get married, and it's, you know, they're all very excited to get married. We do some marriage prep with them, and it's great, and they're, it's, all, it's wonderful. And Then you have a chat with them a little bit you know, six months later um, when they've spent some time together, when they've experienced just the, the, the rubbing uh, of, of the rough edges on each other. Uh, and actually what, what happens is that each of them begins to realize that I'm, maybe I'm a bit more selfish than I thought I was. I'm a bit more thoughtless than i thought i was we're exposed in a good way in a healthy way as we have a mirror put up to us but also when community's working properly it also does encouragement well yeah you're a bit messed up and i'm a bit messed up but look i see what god is doing in you i saw i saw what you did there that act of kindness that act of service that no one else saw well done that was really kind Is there anything I can, I know you're struggling. Can I I pray for you? Can I help you in any way? And when we do that, you see, when we live like that, love one another in the context of community, that is the recipe for real change, for real change in one another. And so if you're anything like me and you're dissatisfied with the person you are right now, I think that's all of us, to be honest. We long to be more like the Lord Jesus. We long to have those fruit of the Spirit to be our experience. To be more patient, more self-controlled, more loving and kind, whatever it is. Here's how we get there. Here's how we get there. There is a tidal wave of influences in our culture. The way to counterbalance all of those is by heeding Jesus' words. It's by praying in Jesus' name and building those practices of Jesus into our lives. And it's by loving his people. And it's only when we do all of those things together that we have any chance of being changed by the Holy Spirit into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. But we'll explore all of those things uh, for the rest of this year. Uh, As we look at how we can be changed. But we're going to come to to the Lord's table now. And we're going to remember that all of this is possible. All of this is possible. Because of what Jesus first did for us. Uh, It's not that we change and pull up our socks to earn God's favor. Entirely the opposite way around. Change is possible because of Jesus' love for us. And so we're going to pray, uh, and we're going to take the opportunity to respond. Respond by saying thank you, but also to respond, which is what bread and just do. They feed our bodies as we are fed this morning uh, on God's word, in the power of God's Holy Spirit. We want to go out and grow and be mature and become more fruitful. So we're saying thank you as we eat this meal, and we're saying please. Please continue to change me as we share in this meal together. So I'm going to pray for us and then I'll invite the deacons to come and serve.